No technology solution goes in without a group of people. It's change management, it's the frontline caregivers. IT is just a part of that, but you got to have a coalition together to make it happen. A lot, I spend a lot of time trying to get that coalition together, say who's taking what and how are we going to do this to be successful. Welcome to the Better Care Podcast, where we tell the stories of clinicians, healthcare leaders, and innovators who are improving the way clinicians work and deliver care. On today's episode, Evidence Care CEO Bo Bartholomew interviews Al Smith, SVP and Chief Information Officer at LifePoint Health. This interview was recorded in front of a live audience at an Evidence Care employee event. Al shares his background and journey to becoming a CIO and how he manages IT resources in a lean environment as well as the top IT initiatives for LifePoint, including a detailed breakdown of his strategies for cost-cutting, efficiency, and growth. Al also talks about mitigating the biggest risks to a health system and his perspective on AI and machine learning in healthcare and how they can assist in making clinicians more efficient. There's a ton of great insight for health system leaders packed into this episode, so we hope you enjoy listening to Al Smith. I'm excited to introduce you to a, a friend of ours, someone I've gotten to know over the last four or five years. Uh, Al, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? I think you'll do a better job than I. And then I'm going to fill in the blanks for what you miss. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, Al Smith, I'm the LifePoint CIO. So we're a for-profit healthcare system located here just across the highway. So not far, our headquarters just on the other side. So we're based here in Brentwood. A little bit about LifePoint. We are 60 acute care hospitals. Think, think uh, Williamson Medical, smaller community, rural to suburban hospitals. We're not a hub and spoke, so we're a little bit different than many health systems. We also have uh, 22 behavioral health hospitals um, that we've acquired over the last couple of years. And then we have 40-ish and growing all the time inpatient rehab facilities. So our big competitor there is Encompass. So interesting road. We also then uh, split into two companies. We have a sister company also owned by our PE backer called Cyan Health that I get the opportunity to be a outsourced IT provider, which is new for us in the last couple of years. And they have another 16 acute care hospitals and geez, 50 plus LTACs. So uh, interesting. We are owned by a PE firm. So that gives us a little bit different dimension. We're for profit. We pay taxes and some of those things. So for me personally, I own all of IT and I also own cybersecurity, parts of analytics and a few other things. Um, so, so there's a couple of things. Uh, father of two, two daughters. Yep. And um, you've been in Nashville how long? Almost 17 years. 17 years. Uh, but just to prep everybody here, Al, I think, owns uh, the record for the most number of electronic health records in one company. So everybody get your guesses together. We're going to have a little competition to see who can guess. Al, real quick, where did you grow up and, and how did you find yourself in healthcare? So I grew up in uh, Michigan, southern Michigan, um, in a kind of a rust belt town that's, you know, like typical heavy manufacturing, et cetera. My dad was a, was an engineer, a mechanical engineer at a, at a public utility. My mother was a nurse. So a little bit of healthcare background there. Um, most of the family are farmers, teachers, those types of things. So my, my mom liked to talk that she was the black sheep of her family. She went into nursing because everybody else went into teaching. So I grew up there, went to Michigan State, was a finance major, and then ultimately took a job with Anderson Consulting, the typical, you learned a program. So I was a COBOL programmer, you go up to project management, et cetera. 
eventually made my way into healthcare. I guess it kind of found me. Had the opportunity to work in about five or six other industries. And once I got into healthcare, I just enjoyed it. To me, I know it's always a little bit of a cliche. It's a little bit higher calling. I didn't find as much interest in producing widgets or working for a public utility just didn't call to me quite as much. I also think the challenges in healthcare are bigger. I think we're the most complex, probably the most dysfunctional industry that one can imagine or even put together if you want to consider it even put together. Um, so I enjoy that. There's always something that we're learning uh, along the way. So um, worked in Detroit for a number of time, did a lot of consulting and travel, ended up moving to North Carolina, working for a not for, large not-for-profit called Carolina's Healthcare, which became Atrium, which is now Advocate, and then eventually made my way here to Nashville and have been with four different companies, but three of those merged over time. So whether I really moved or they moved and I tagged along, I guess is debatable. Absolutely. And um, and I want to go a little bit deeper into some of that. But I, before I forget, since we're focusing on the unique perspective of a CIO of a health system, what does the word high trust mean to you? Security. <laughs> right. A lot of regulations and how to be a lot more secure and a lot of uh, regular uh, regulatory oversight on those. Is it a good things. thing if someone comes to you and says they're high trust certified? It's a ticket to ride. OK, I need those types of things. SOC 2, you know, there's different ways to skin that. But the certifications are important if I'm going to export data to feel that there are some reasonable set of controls. Having said that, no framework and none of us can control and, and mitigate all security risks. None of us can afford it, right? But at least that means there's a floor here and anybody I work with uh, as a vendor partner has done enough to meet at least a minimum. And, and when we started the process, I think we had met the minimum, but uh, happy to say we celebrated yesterday. We, we officially got the high trust nice. certification. I think uh, our CIO has the tattoo on his arm already. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're super excited about that. And, and we do take it seriously because yep. I think in today's world, is there any greater risk to a health system or anyone in healthcare IT than a data breach from your perspective? Uh, ransomware and data breach. I'll put those yeah. two together. I mean, there's been a lot of heavy profiles. I would say in the past few years, our biggest issues around cybersecurity have been third parties. Okay. Right. It's us giving you data. You may be passing it to somebody. Somebody gets breached along the way, but yet the microscope's back on us. Yeah. And that's where I think high trust in those things. As a regulator, somebody looks at me. If if I know that I've got partners who have high trust, I've done my due diligence at least a little bit. That is helpful in those types of situations. Absolutely. But that's our biggest risk right now. I mean, you you've read some health systems have been pretty high profile being down on their EMRs and patient accounting and HR for six weeks. I mean, can you imagine like, take your email, take everything, no electronics for six weeks. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me from sleeping at night um, because ultimately it's going to be my issue. Absolutely. To fix. Now along those lines, anybody want to take a guess as to how many electronic health care records just shout it out real quick. Six, eight, 15. Six, eight, fifteen. Al, you want to give them the answer? Yeah, it depends on whether you talk uh, instances or vendor types. Let, let's um, name both. Oh, geez, I'm not even sure I can tell you instances. So, um, off the top of my head, are sixty hospitals, twenty-five med hosts, um, five Cerner's, four Epics, five Paragons, two SCMs, all scripts, and then 
the rest are some flavor of Meditech magic, HCA magic, Meditech client server, Meditech 6.0, Meditech expanse. So if it's manufactured, we probably have it. Um, and those are not even your outpatient clinic yeah, or out, your outpatient is yeah outpatient health. is all Athena or Epic or Cerner, um, but mostly Athena. The post acute right now is primarily paper or a hybrid or NetSmart moving to Cerner. So on the post acute, we're going to get consistent. We got we got approval to do that. That's good, and hopefully we we'll get approval to replace some of the older EMRs as well. And I'm sure our sales team has already said, we can integrate with all of them. It's really easy. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, we, we know it's not. Um, so, Al, when, um, when you think about healthcare right now with the trends in the market, tell us a little bit about, as a C-suite member, what are your top concerns as a health system and how does that translate to the top initiatives that LifePoint would have over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, I'd boil down our, our from a business perspective, two things, cost cutting and efficiencies. How do we do more with less um, and growth? Those are the two big ones. Other people aren't worried about cybersecurity. That's mine to worry about. Um, they aren't worried about it quite as much. Top initiatives, um, anything around patient engagement, digital front door, how do you capture and have more stickiness with our patients uh, is top of mind. There's a number of things we're doing there. I'll, I'll talk about efficiencies and I'll put it in two buckets. Administrative, right? How do we do more uh, with less overhead, less IT people? How do you automate some of those things? And the second thing is then how do we make our caregivers more efficient? Um, so I'll put those into two buckets. Um, this is probably the most pressure I've seen in my career for being as lean as possible. It's incredible, the pressure on it. And I don't, I don't think we're alone on that. I think uh, because we are PE backed, maybe the, the pressure's a little more. But I think when you see, you know, the Ascension's losing $3 billion in a year, you got to do something differently. Otherwise, you go out of business. Other things I'd say in their cybersecurity, that, that's, that's a big focus. But again, that's kind of our domain because the CISO reports into me. Analytics, trying to do more of what we have. Um, we're just surfacing what we can do. We all spend all this time codifying EMRs and codifying data. Now, what do we do with it? How do we, how do we become uh, not only you know, retrospective reporting and do things better, but more predictive. How are we going to do better there? So we got a number of initiatives going on there. Last thing I'd put on there is virtual care. RPM, virtual nursing, telesitting. There's a bunch of things we're doing on there. Some to make us more efficient, some to give our frontline nurses in particular, take some of the burden off of them of EMRs and other things and let them do what they do best and what they want to do, which is not document an EMR. And then also, what do we do outside of the four walls? Yeah. Those are probably the big buckets. Is that enough? No, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's important for all of us to walk in your shoes. And if we're going to be a support uh, to companies like LifePoint, we need to really understand the pressures y'all are under, and they've never been more intense. And I think over the last two to three decades, there's been a, a big shift because it used to be always quality first, always you know, outcomes related care, which are still important, which will never go away. But it's been a big pendulum swift uh, shift to kind of say, hey, we've got to survive first. So along those lines, um, drilling in just a little bit, what is the role of the chief information officer and where do you spend your time? But also you, you've shared a little bit about what keeps you up at night, but what are some of the things you might be looking forward to? 
Yeah. Um, where do I spend my time? If you look at cybersecurity, it's risk mitigation, right? That's that's really the name of the game. Cybersecurity is just an umbrella. Is one big chunk under enterprise risk in general. There's lots of things like, hey, do you store your images? Do um, do you have good OB systems? Um, where right now we're ripping out all our infant abduction systems because they're end of life. Keep going. There's lots of things in that. So that's a big one. Um, innovation. I think the interesting part right now is there's a lot of pressure to cut costs, combine contracts, run as lean as possible, at the same time innovate. Okay, well, if I'm cutting staff and I'm being really lean, how do I have the capacity to innovate? And I don't have an answer for that. I think that's an ongoing dialogue with some of that. I would say, for your all's perspective, one of the ways you all can help in that with innovation is come with solutions and come with things that make it easy for me take the load off of me, because if you're waiting for me to do all the work to integrate, et cetera, you might be in a queue for a while. So that's something to think about in my shoes and the innovation side. Um, I get a lot of people pitch technology. Personally, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore technician. I like to think of myself more as a business or operational person who understands technology and how to apply it. If you're not bringing me a solution, I don't care. I don't care about tech unless it does something. And I think a lot of times small companies in particular will come with tech. Well, if I can't leverage it, if I don't have programmers, if I can't use it, I don't care. You waste my time. Move on. And where we've had the most success with innovation is when people come with full solutions, people process technology, come with as much as you can, take some of that burden off of us, especially as we're trying to run really lean. Other things I find myself doing, collaboration builder. No technology solution goes in without a group of people. It's change management, it's the frontline caregivers. IT is just a part of that, but you got to have a coalition together to make it happen. And a lot, I spend a lot of time trying to get that coalition together, say who's taking what and how are we going to do this to be successful. And then the last thing I'll kind of throw in there is um, translator. There's a lot of technology and we in the technology industry confuse people many times. Everything's AI now. Well, it's really not. Just because you have an algorithm doesn't mean it's AI. But suddenly everybody's confused. The CEO doesn't understand how this applies. So you spend a lot of time trying to translate. How do you take technology and make it into a real solution that can really add value to the organization? Spend a decent amount of time doing that almost daily. So I'm, I'm just curious, when you were a young Cobalt programmer, did you say one day I'm going to be the CIO of a health system? No. How, how did you, like, do you say I will not be one and no, I am? No. Uh, how, how did you get into the seat you're in? You know, in some ways it just sort of happens and you find what you're good at and what you like to do. Um, it's a tough job. Not everybody. Sometimes I, I, I will ask people, especially younger people, go like, I want your job someday. And I always ask why, why, why? Because if you just want to do it because it's just going up the ladder, wrong answer. It's a tough job. There's many tough jobs, but it's a very tough job. Uh, don't do it unless you really like it. And I think where I gravitated to was some of those things I talked about that I, you know, I like to think I was good at and was able to show value. And then they gave you more opportunity. But I can't say at 22, I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, yeah, I'm old enough now. I'm not even sure there really were CIO jobs. They were more like data processing units doing payroll and maybe patient accounting. And that was about it. So um, I got a few scars along the way, and a few wrinkles. But no, that was not the plan. But it, it just sort of happened. And uh, it's it's been a really fun ride. It's a tough job, but it can be super rewarding, too. Absolutely. So we'll go there uh, to the topic you mentioned a second ago of AI and ML. Are you using it? Will you use it? Do you want to use it? Do you want to do more of it? Is it going to save the health system? Tell us your perspective on AI and ML. Yeah, absolutely. Are we using it? Yes. 
Um, and again, I think it define, depends how you want to define AI. ML's been around for a number of years. This isn't new. I think with LLMs and ChatGPT, suddenly it's been reborn and rebirthed and rebranded. And we, again, in the IT world, probably push it because that's the marketing buzzword. And you got to have AI, otherwise you're not going to get in the door. It's made its way into boardrooms and public uh, analyst grillings. Like you've, you've got to use that word. But what does it really mean? Um, I think we're still defining that. And there aren't good models. I've kind of searched for that. So like we, we start an AI steering committee where we can feed everything in and some of the answers were, well, what should come to it? I don't know. We're trying to figure it out right now. So um, we are doing it um, under the guise of ambient listening. We've got some pilots going with that. Things like with Nuance and Bridge. We did some things with a company called Suki and really trying to make our ambulatory, we have about 2,500 employed physicians and really trying to make them more efficient. It's not a, it's not something we've mandated. It's more like as a physician, if this would help you and you can get out quicker, see more patients, be more efficient, here's an assistive tool. It's not been a panacea. Some physicians use it like it. Some give up on it and say, hey, it wasn't worth it. And we kind of leave it up to them. We've done a number of things around natural language processing or computational linguistics. I would put that into AI. That's happening. We are not doing much with LLMs at this point. We'll kind of see where that goes. We are not a development shop. We run very lean. So I need partners who bring this stuff and I have to leverage other people who are going to deliver those types of things. To answer your question, is it going to save healthcare? No, not in the short run. I still firmly believe it'll be assistive technology. It'll make people, especially frontline caregivers, more efficient and make better decisions. But at the end of the day, it's not going to replace a lot of us in the short run. I, I was told by a private equity group that uh, their position is that uh, there will be no AI companies. AI will be like the internet. It's just something that everyone uses in some form or fashion. Your valuations will not be dependent on whether or not you have that word next to it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Al, when you think about uh, vendor partners and folks like that, it sounds like both with the AI and others that solution focused is important. And what is in, in your mind, who surfaces the problems that need to be solved? And how do those get elevated kind of from anywhere in the system. You've got a massive number of employees, partners, uh, hospitals, outpatient centers, et cetera. How do those uh, problems surface to get kind of at the level that, you know what, we ought to try to solve this? Yeah, they can come in a variety of ways. Obviously, they can come from, you know, corporate, if you will, talking to vendors, going to conferences, et cetera. Um, so that's sort of the top down. There are a variety of ways where it can come from the bottom up. If I look at like ambient listening, that was physicians saying, hey, I'm hearing about this. What can I do? And that kind of came up through a couple of markets, a couple of physicians up through a corporate structure came to us and they've said, hey, we've got a couple of things we can do here. So it can kind of come from a variety of ways. I think part of the challenge with innovation and new vendor partners is how do you triage all of it? I could spend all day long doing nothing but reading emails on the next vendor who wants to get in front of me, et cetera. Um, so we talk about an innovation committee, fast triage. Yes, no, not now. You got to triage them fast. 
otherwise like it can consume my entire day and I've got a day job to do on top of that. I think that's becoming harder and harder as there's just so much stuff coming at you. Well, I can only imagine everybody wants to solve it with an IT solution. So uh, do you ever feel like kind of your department's a bottleneck or is there like a, a process that, you know, everybody kind of helps you prioritize things? That's a work in progress. Are we a bottleneck at times? Uh, yeah, we are. I mean, we're not, un we don't have unlimited resources. So there are things that we can't always get to in the timely fashion. We do flex out for a lot of things like interface engine programmers, et cetera. So I think it's good to always say yes, no, not now. The other one would be, I can, but are you willing to pay for X? And sometimes that handles the demand management a little bit okay? Uh, because they don't have any money or they didn't realize it might cost money, et cetera. So there are times we definitely do. And that's part of the reason I say, if somebody comes to me with a full solution versus half a solution, that's going to get my attention a little bit quicker. So we talk to a dozen different health systems every week, if not more. And one of the things we, we consistently see is either the lack of IT resources or the overwhelming demand on IT resources so that the, their availability to even, even get to a project, whether it's the integration side or the build or the configuration, is just non-existent. Do you see that increasing, becoming worse? Do you see it getting better? Maybe take us back a year and where were we then? Where are we now? And where will we be a year from now? Yeah, it's worse now. Okay. Part, for two reasons. One, I think there's more demand coming in and we've been asked to cut and run leaner. We can only do so much, right? If yeah. You, if you had X and you'd now have less than X, you can't do as much as you used to do. And that's a, uh, a daily kind of balancing act. Absolutely. But yeah, I'd say that I've not seen as much cost pressure and as much demand in my career as going on right now. Is that going to get any better next year or just continue to? I think that's going to be here to stay. Okay. All right. In terms of the things that are maybe top of mind for you to solve, uh, any real tactical ones at the moment? Uh, more time in the day. Now you can't help with that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about analytics and getting more efficient. I guess I, I probably would add one more thing in there. When we have done a pretty good job of running very lean in terms of staffing and some of those things, what we've not done a good job at, and you guys, this is in your wheelhouse, is really care variation and reducing the overall cost of care through the right things, right? Not rationing. A lot of our analytics focuses around that to try to figure out, as an example, why is blood utilization different across hospitals? Is there a best practice? Is, is it an outlier physician who just needs to be educated or maybe doesn't even realize there? So there's a lot of things there. And I know that's a sweet spot for some of the stuff. And the part of the reason we're talking to you guys in the care gauge, I don't think there's really one solution that solves that. It's going to be a patchwork number of solutions, upfront information, back end, process improvement, change management, all of those pieces. We have not done a lot of that as a health system, and that's a, a pretty big focus for us right now. That's helpful. Last que uh, kind of formal question, and then if there's anything on your mind that you want to impart some nuggets of wisdom, we would welcome that. But when you find something innovative, tell us about the process. Do, does the system or you and your department, do you like to kind of dabble in it, try a little bit? 
deploy it in one or two places before you roll it out. And then in parallel to that question, how do the operators in the hospitals receive this innovation? And especially when you try to scale it, what, what barriers do you run into? Yeah. In terms of scaling, um, we already talked about the, the disparity of EMRs that we have. That's probably our biggest barrier. I don't have support teams necessarily for all of them. And to be quite honest, the capabilities of Epic is very different than the capabilities of Medhost. It just is. Or HCA Magic, we were talking earlier about, they do the bare minimum at this point for regula regulatory. Do they speak fire? Yes, not well. So if you come to me and say, hey, I've integrated with Epic, great, that's four. Now what are you gonna do, <laughs> right? That Okay, that's four. Yeah. I got 56 more. Um, and that's usually that's usually where the, the discussions start to fall apart is, well, what are you going to do with Paragon? Well, I've never worked with Paragon before. Um, so that's probably our biggest stumbling block to really scaling and moving fast. Put that also with every EMR's workflows are a little bit different, right? So how do you, how do you move and change your workflow as you go from site to site, floor to floor, et cetera? That's always difficult from a, a change management perspective. So that's the scaling piece. I'm sorry, ask the first part of your question again. Uh, yeah, but before I forget it, uh, a little known fact, I may be one of two people who know this, but uh, our care gauge product, when we bought the company, it its very first deployment was in a Paragon system. So we do have some experience. Great. Maybe not in this room. <laughs> Kyle's saying no. <laughs> oh, uh, so you asked a little bit about how we do we like to pilot some of those yeah, things. Yeah, just the interaction yeah. from your department of corporate and innovation committees with the folks on the ground, like, okay, here's one more thing. Yep. How do we, do they fight you on it? Do they love it when you come and that type of thing? Yeah, I think it depends on the facility. So we, we like to pilot. Um, and because we have 60 and we have several different UMRs, you kind of have to pilot and then you figure out how you can scale if you want to scale. We try to pick a facility that has leadership that's behind it. So there's, there's a buy-in piece, right? I can say this is the best product since whatever. If that local CEO, CNO, COO either doesn't have time, doesn't care, doesn't understand it, it's going to fail. And, and we've had some of those in innovation where I would say we've done some projects where we picked the wrong hospital. It wasn't the vendor. It wasn't the tool. It was lack of engagement. You know, interim CNO who then turned over, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe it's massive turnover with your nurses. It's just a bad time to go in there. They've got cultural issues and things to work on. So we clearly have made that. Um, and I think that's a challenge because when you do pilot, you have to at some point, especially it's innovative. If it's not going to work, you need to pull the plug at some point. And we all get invest, we all get invested in sort of like this was my idea. And at some point, you have to be, uh, especially when you're doing small pilots with things that are a little more cutting edge. Sometimes the right thing to do is terminate, cut, walk away, and you're done. Move on to something else. But we do like to pilot, and we do like to pilot for two things. One is if we can't show right, especially right now, some sort of financial tie-in then it's going to be hard to scale it right now. Yeah, especially given the market and the yep. top initiatives you shared earlier. Yeah, and, and at least in our perspective, making people more efficient is great. But if that just means Al has four hours to go do something else, it better be revenue producing or something else. And it has to tie back to a real cost takeout, not the theoretical, well, Al will be happier. Al has a little more time. What's Al going to do with that time? And if I have enough Al's, can I can I actually take an FTE out? Real ROI that a CFO will buy into um, is often a challenge. So the more you all can do to come with like real ROIs, 
and have them kind of smoke tested by a real CFO and get it passed makes it a lot easier because I'm going to have to run that gauntlet. So the more you can take on that and come in with something that's pretty shovel ready that you've let a good CFO really just beat the tar out of it is great. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And we've got the whole company here. And so if you're listening, you can really hear uh, the CFO test. Many of you are working on that with the ROI and the KPIs. The, the cybersecurity high trust test. Many of you all were working on that. And then the relationship piece uh, with turnover and everything else. we got a whole department dedicated on managing and getting in front of that. So uh, just in a few sentences here, you've kind of described how we are structured organizationally. So the that was really helpful. So that, he, um, he didn't tell me to say that. Either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know Spencer's probably going to get mad at me for opening it up to questions because this is supposed to be a podcast. But before we ask any questions, Al, any kind of thoughts either for we've got a lot of young folks early in their career. We hope to launch them into leadership roles across the industry uh, over the decades, but also just as a as a partner to health systems, what what words of wisdom or advice would you share? Yeah, things, I guess, from my perspective is I've kind of grown up and gotten to where I'm at. A couple things. One, listen. Spend a lot of time listening. Uh, second, be humble. I don't know everything. Part of the reason I like healthcare is I continually learn. I get bored really easily, and I'm always being challenged to learn more. And I think that goes back to some of those team building, collaboration, et cetera. The power of the team is way better than the power of Al. It just is, right? You know certain things. I know certain things. Hopefully I bring things, but be okay to say, I don't know, get there, get, get other people in there, bring them along, um, let them lead and, and leverage people. Um, so maybe a lot of humility, people that tend to think I know all the answers ultimately I think have some issues along the way. Um, so those are a couple big things that I've learned along the way. Work hard, you know, work hard, have a little fun at work though, too. You got to have some fun at work, especially if you're going to ask people. And I think another thing I'd throw in there, working hard. I don't ask, I don't ask my team to do anything I wouldn't do. I've been at go lives, crawling our desks, putting in wires. doesn't matter. Whatever you need, be there with people. I think takes you a long way. Some of the best teams I've ever worked on were, you know, crazy audacious goals. People told us we couldn't do it. And somehow you coalesced and you took the hill. Was it perfect? No. And people make mistakes. We'll do wrong things. Fix it. Don't blame. Move on. Learn from it. Keep moving. Developing some sort of a culture where it's okay to fail a little bit. I mean, there's failure and then there's like, oh my God, what, what did you do? Um, <laughs> there are gradients in there too, right? But, you know, you've got, you've got to allow people to fail a little bit too. Fantastic. Any questions? This is an interesting one. I go to a lot of the conferences like Vive and Health. Um and, and we're hearing more and more from executives across the industry that what is going to happen to healthcare in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And you mentioned IT resources are limited margins have never been and are not great right now. Operating budgets, probably in the same bucket. IT resources are thin trying to do anything, whether you're innovative or not. And we look at physician burnout, shortage of nurses, acquisition of hospitals or they're closing. Right. I mean, what are your just your thoughts on where this industry is headed if something big doesn't change. You got pharma, you got insurance companies making big margins. We're over here struggling to stay alive, profit for profit. It's thinking of our next generation, generation after that, where's this, we just leave everyone if we continue down the path we're heading today. Yeah. Well, you just press, you depressed me with that list, but th <laughs> th th thanks. Thanks for that. Um, you know, I mean, 
I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, it's not going to get easier. There are going to be more people who want to cherry pick off, for lack of a better term, the high margin things that they can take. Um, having said that, the acute care hospital isn't going anywhere. I think it'll look differently. I think historically we've had a hard time sometimes in the acute care business. We wanted to be everything to everybody. I don't know that we can. I know we've looked at you know, where we've got two hospitals nearby. Do you need two cardiac programs? Do you need two OB programs? That's super political, especially in a small town where you're the largest employer and you may be telling a pregnant mother drive 20 miles. There's politics all over that. But I think in the long run, I don't think we can afford to be everything to everybody, or at least society's not going to be willing to pay for that going into the future. I don't have a crystal ball like where the industry is going. Your, your guess is probably good as mine, but I don't think it's going to get easier. I do think you're going to see more and more consolidation. It's been tough, under, especially under the current administration, because they put a laser focus and President Biden came out and said, I don't think healthcare mergers have delivered the value and I'm going to take a good look at them. So I think it's going to get tough, but I think you're going to continue to see that. But I think we as leaders have to deliver on the real value of those mergers, not just sort of, well, we got bigger. Are we running leaner? Are we able to invest more? Are we making a difference back in those communities? Because we're going to have to run more efficiently than, than we do today. Labor costs are going to go up, so that's not going to be it, right? So what are we going to do to take labor costs out, make people more efficient? And maybe we need to look at our service lines and say we can't be everything to everybody. Just my opinion. Thanks, Al, for uh, the conversation. Really enlightening. Sounds like multiple EMR systems for you guys is a major pain point. Uh, is it on the table for you guys to consolidate? Um, if so, what do those conversations look like? What are the challenges that, that that presents to you guys? Yeah. So again, I don't know if I mentioned this, but one of the reasons we have so many EMRs is because we've acquired and merged, et cetera, and everybody took it a little bit different. Um, we will selectively replace EMRs. It's not going to be a wholesale. I think there's a couple drivers of that. Up until now, it's been really around can I bend the IT cost? If I can justify the investment, and typically for a you know, 150, 200-bed hospital, you're looking at 8 to 10 million in capital and a couple million in OPEX. So that gives you a range, right? So let's call it 12 million in cash, 10 million in cash, somewhere in that range. So if you have 50 hospitals, you guys are good at math, you suddenly start to put a B, you know, a B behind numbers and the the accountants all you know, pass out and it's um, <laughs> it's an interesting discussion. So to answer your question directly, will we selectively replace some? Yes. Is it going to be all 60 on one platform? No. Um, I have three, what I would call modern platforms. You could argue that, but I've met a tech expanse, Cerner and Epic. I can, I can take three teams and do three at a time doing three different ways. We don't have geographic concentration in most cases, so that's a little different than a lot of health systems that are trying to have more of a hub and spoke and there's patient flow. We don't have that, so that gives me a little bit more flexibility in there. So we will replace some. Are we going to replace any of them anytime soon or all of them anytime soon? No, we will not. And right now it's building the case that if our IT cost is X, I need to be X minus that pays for that 10 to $12 million. And then some of the older EMRs, Maybe they aren't the best EMRs, but they aren't very expensive to run. That's been a really tough sell from a CFO standpoint. We have a couple EMRs that are going to get end of life, and there may be some vendors out there I won't name that may not be around long term. That forces a different discussion, right? End of life. You have to do something. And I kind of hope there's some of that that goes on that makes that discussion a little bit easier. 
Well, that, and that's an ongoing challenge uh, for you guys. I think the other thing we've started to figure out is if we want to be innovative, some of our EMRs don't allow us to be innovative and we can't scale fast. So we're starting to change the discussion from just a pure IT cosplay to other things. But that's a more, it's not as direct of a discussion, right? It's a little more, you got to win somebody's heart and they got to believe it. But is there a hard dollar amount? Mm, maybe. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it'll, it'll be a challenge for me for quite a while. I have a follow-up question to that, and then I'll pass the mic. So again, thank you, Al, for the insights. So to piggyback on Dom's question about EHR consolidation, there's been a lot in the news about IT outsourcing. Um, and I know there's some cyclical thoughts on it. I'd love to get your perspective, given that you have multiple EHRs, cost is an issue. What are your thoughts on IT outsourcing? We do some of it today. Um, we are looking at a few other areas. I think it'll be, in my case, I'm more of a fan of selective outsourcing. As an example, can you offshore interface development and have a blended shore team? Absolutely. Done it before. You can also take advantage of the sun, the time, time zones, et cetera. But can you have hardcore developers in India while you have people here that are working on site with people to do specs, the translation testing? Absolutely. We don't do that today. But that's something we're looking at as an example. So for us, I think, um, you know, we were birthed out of HCA. So we have some things through Seracore that we've always outsourced. I have 30 hospitals-ish that are on the HCA network. Network's outsourced, whether I like it or not, right? It's just outsourced. So we do it. We're comfortable with it. You can lose control. I think it's always watch what you ask for. I can outsource, save money, and make everybody's lives miserable. And then you don't get the service levels, but there's ways to protect yourself with that. So we continue to look at things. That's one of the ways to run more efficiently. And we're, we, we have to look at it. And we are. It is a similar question, but in, in more depth about how do you see among all healthcare organizations, everybody is cutting down on IT. It's very difficult to monetize or to estimate the value of the IT team. You need more IT team to solve more problems, as you can see right now. But they are asking you to run leaner. So what is your, from your experience, your secret sauce of how can you give us a good value, why you would need IT team and how you pitch it for your CFO in order to do this kind of a project? For example, I need more people. I need more fund. And I am not sure how can I get you a return on investment by a money value because it's not going to be able to be estimated. What would be your secret sauce for that? Yeah, I don't know if I have secret sauce on that. I think every time you do a project, you try to make sure that the IT costs are accounted for and that includes people. I think the challenge that I have is many times people think, oops, excuse me, and for instance, installing a new EMR. That's a project that, in my opinion, never goes away. You're always going to optimize it. So the challenge we always have, it's not the business case. It's not getting through that. It's the tail, right? It's the, well, now that we're live, why do you need anybody? Okay. Uh, and and I have, sometimes we'll use analogy and I don't know if this is a great one, but I've used it and it seems to, the operators seem to get it. It's a little like building an imaging center and then not having transport and not having imaging techs. It takes care and feeding. I mean, my answer to you would be, why can't, why do you need people? Why can't you run an imaging center with no people? It's the same discussion. Um, so try to put it in more of a operational analogy so they understand it. I do think we struggle with IT tends to be, IT is a little bit of a black box. I hear that a lot. So one of the things that I've done recently is per our policy, anything we're about a half million, I need a couple of ELT members to sign off on. And I on purpose t 
take every single one of those to our CFO. So as an example, we just had to renew our 3M coding contract. Okay, here it is. Here's what it costs. I'll cut this if you don't want to code. Oh, no, 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 we need that. So you get him more involved. And my goal with that is try to be more transparent because IT can be a massive, you know, we, we push like $300 million through our department and that's what everybody sees. But by taking each one of these to him, hopefully over time, he understands how a million here, 2 million there starts to stack. And then we can have those discussions about, do we really need that stuff or not? Um, so those are some things I do. Um, I think that continues to be a struggle and usually it's more on the tail, less on the, I can get a PAX engineer if I can do a, a capital um, project and take half a million dollars out. No one, no one's going to fight me on that. It becomes more the tail. Why do you need the maintenance side? Well, Al, I can't thank you enough. Um, this has been truly inspirational, primarily because what you've shared uh, touches on why we exist. Uh, we wake up every day wanting to help enable better care decisions around the country. And if we can do our part, we hope it'll help you and others. Um, but also, I love what you shared about, like, this is an industry that matches a calling. Like, there's real deep needs here that touch all of our lives personally. And it's it's broken, and it needs help. And uh, so I, for one, wake up every day thinking about that. Uh, and I know a lot of our team does as well. So we can't thank you enough for joining us at uh, our fall EC Palooza. So right. thank you. Well, thanks for having me. <clears throat>